Welcome back to Do We Like Movies. I'm your host, Angel. And I'm your devilishly ghoulish host, Javi. I think you, ca- you kind of did this on the Exorcist episode. So. Shut up, all right? <laughs> Fucking a year in, I'm going to repeat gags anytime there's going to be a horror movie. We're almost a year and a half in, actually. Oh, it's, all you're going to do is correct me? Is that all you're doing now? <laughs> is all you're doing just be the big old bitch? Kiss my ass. Just kidding, it's Javi. You're devilishly good. <laughs> and uh, this week we're talking about the 2018 film Hereditary. And uh, I'm kind of excited to talk about this movie because I guess I'll get into my experience with it right away. But this is actually my first time ever watching this movie. It took you fucking long enough. Jesus. <laughs> well, at one point, I, you know, like I mentioned lots of times, I just can't go to movies. Just, I mean, these days, nobody's going to movie theaters, but you know, about a year or two ago, like I just couldn't get to movies because my kid was still an infant and uh, I could barely leave the house. But now these days, uh, we're just not all going to movie theaters at all. <laughs> now we all suffer. <laughs> no, and then plus this has been like on my Amazon Prime queue for a really long time. But I think I just reached a point where I knew we were going to do it on this show eventually. So I was able to just push it back all the way. Kind of like what I did with The Quiet Place when we did that for the show. So um, I'm you definitely... guys notice a pattern, anytime Javi suggests something, it gets pushed all the way back. But the moment Angel wants to have a six-hour Dark night conversation, that's going to be the next episode. You know, but don't you... I mean, I'm pretty sure the people who listen to the show probably appreciate this being, like, one of our first experiences with this movie. You can, I'm going to be a salty bitch, no. All right. <laughs> I'm mad it's taken us this long to watch this movie. All right, well, this movie is an A24 horror movie. So the same studio that did uh, Moonlight, which we talked about a few weeks ago. Um, And this movie came out the year or two years after Moonlight did. And it's actually, I think, to this day, the highest grossing A24 movie ever. Um, Suck it, Swiss Army, man. (laughs) And uh, yeah, I I think we've kind of talked about these more like, kind of art house like horror movies before and really like we've tried to figure out a way to kind of label them and it's officially like in Vanity Fair and other magazines they've called it elevated horror which we did with It Follows uh and then we did uh, Quiet Place and I think this is our third time kind of really diving into that I think we did a little bit with Halloween but this is a really like you know one of the few times that we've d- dived into this now, this elevated horror genre that has come so, to prominence in the last decade here. So if you had to define elevated horror, how would you define it personally, like as an angel? I think an elevated horror movie is, you know, I'll put it this way. I, I think it's a buzzword that people are using because now they're finally all of a sudden accepting that horror movies can be considered good films. Uh, The reason why I don't buy it is because we've done The Exorcist on this podcast before, and I think Exorcist is one of the best movies ever made. And I think the director, you know, William Friedkin, is a guy who, you know, he he did French Connection, which was, you know, just like an Oscar heavyweight movie. And uh, he does The Exorcist and treats it with every bit as seriousness as he did uh, his crime, his crime epic. And I think it shows up in the movie and it shows up in the fact that the movie won the Academy Award. Uh, Jordan Peele's horror movies have all been kind of lumped into the elevated horror genre, but Jordan Peele himself has said that, uh, that his, uh, 
a lot of his movies are influenced by the style of Stanley Kubrick and William Friedkin. So, you know, it's, to me, it's something that's been around forever, but it's just like now in this last decade, it's become more the trendy word to kind of use it, to use for it. I like using the term scarables because I'm pretty sure you and I are popularizing it. God. I've never really used that term, but shut up. I'm using it. It's scary parables and it's what we've been doing. (laughs) No, but I agree. It's like, I guess elevated horror. If we had to put a word to it or if we had to put a definition to it, it's just horror that takes itself serious enough as a story. Right. And I think we talked about it before. Like to me, I felt like, I felt like the two thousands or the aughts were like, they were just poison for horror movies, right? Like you had that scream renaissance that happened in the nineties. And then in the beginning of the aughts, you had like saw, which was really good. And then the franchise kind of draws out and and the next nine saw movies. And you're like, this is just the same thing repackaged. Yeah. And then I think the other thing that I thought was cool at the time that has aged like milk is uh, the remake of all the eighties horror movies. So Halloween, Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th, like, you know, all of those movies that were just remakes of the original movies from a couple decades earlier have not aged well in just the, the Texas ten- Chainsaw movies that the, te- the, the I'll say this, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake that was first good. platinum the one with was uh, good. Jessica Biel, yeah. Yeah. And then everything else after that is just aged very badly and uh, to the point where now a lot of these series, instead of doing remakes, is they're actually just fusing these uh, these sequels into the original series that everyone loves. And I think that the fact that a lot of these movies have now in the last decade, like It Follows, The Witch, uh, you know, Hereditary, uh, A Quiet Place, Get Out, like the fact that all of these movies have kind of risen to prominence, it's really brought the horror genre not just back, but I think it really has brought it in Babadook. Like, I think it's really brought it to a different level that it hasn't been at before. I just want to, I want to go on record right now and really talk about how if anyone has been banging the Babadook drum, it's been me. (laughs) Yeah, you have. And, and okay. So you can't criticize me for not watching movies that you've recommended because I did watch the Babadook. Uh, yeah, but you know, that's, I, I'm really happy about that one. Cause that one's my baby, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. All right, fine. And the point of a lot of these movies is that really they use the horror genre to tell stories that have not been, or, or, or stories that, that talk about real cultural anxieties and stuff. So like you might call them scary parables, also known as. You can do that. Say it. You know, you want to. No. <laughs> that will be my new goal by the end of this entire show which at this point is going to be when you and i might I- have said it in the history of this show and we just don't remember it right now no, keep in mind this is like episode 61 of this show at this point <laughs> yeah but you know what that's the new goal is i'm gonna fucking normalize <laughs> scarable so hard thanks to crack.com thanks you guys and you're uh, what's your it? what's your experience with the movie hereditary uh, my experience with Hereditary was I saw the trailers a couple years ago. So, what, 2018, right? And I remember hearing all how terrifying it is. And I was like, hmm, I want to watch that someday. And it was just one of those movies that flew under the radar for me. Like, 
A24 movies are really known for being very art house, very self-serious films. So I'm like, eh, I don't really know much about this studio. I'll come around to it eventually. Now it turns out it's putting out some of the like best movies I've seen in a minute. So finally, on a whim, I you know I posted. I, I was talking to someone about it on Facebook. They're like, you need to watch Hereditary. Like, if you want, if you like The Witch, it's it's very, it's not similar to that, but it's like the same type of feel. Like, it's more about eerie, not necessarily horror. And I'm like, interesting. So I finally got to see it. And so this is so for the time I saw it earlier this week. Um, was actually the second time I've seen it. What really got me juiced to see it for the first time ever was the trailer. Like the trailer to Hereditary is an all-time great horror movie trailer. Really it's funny when you watch it because you know it, it's just it, it's such a well put together trailer that I'm just like holy shit this really does look like an, a ridiculously scary movie. Um, it, it right right away it doesn't really doesn't really tell you a ton of the plot. Like it, it gives you an idea of what it could be about, but thankfully this movie d- pulls the Hitchcock thing where it like, where it, it, cha- it subverts your expectations uh, very early in the film. Oh, super hard too. Like in the first 20 minutes. Yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, when I saw that the trailer actually said that this was this generation's exorcist, I would actually argue, and I will argue in this episode that the movie that this most reminds me of, like in terms of the plot, and also, like, just in general, like, the, just the, the overall style of it is Rosemary's Baby. And I love movies, horror movies from the 60s, uh, 70s, that dec- those, like, you know, decades. And this is a throwback to that. And um, I just love that this movie doesn't, much like Moonlight, which we talked about, it's a movie that doesn't really it infers a lot and the shining does that too right the shining infers a lot to the point where you could decide that either this hotel that this family is staying in is haunted or these people came into it insane already like this like jack torrance was already insane before he got there Mm -hmm. and this hotel basically just was the last like straw (laughs) so um I think unless we have anything else to, to talk about, I think we can get right into the movie. Uh, before jumping into the movie, I guess just want to talk about Ari Oster, the Ari Aster, Oster, Aster. I'd say Aster. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So Aster, Ari Oster is the director. He actually shares a birthday with me. What? He was born July 15th, 1986. Little fun fact about Ari Aster. Anyway, uh, I just wanted to talk about him real quick because he's kind of, He's the guy that's already put out two bangers of films. And he also, fun fact, one of our other friends um, who I don't know how they would feel about me putting their name out, so I won't. (laughs) But they actually told me about the strange thing about the Johnsons, which was actually uh, the like senior thesis movie that Ari Aster did. It's a short film he did uh, when he was graduating from school. Um, 
back in 2011 and it's like super bizarre and i remember our friend was telling me about it and she's like yeah you can watch it on youtube and i'm like hmm i'll check this out and it's just like so eerie and creepy and it's like that's that what i'm finding is that's ari aster's um kind of like sweet spot is less horror more creepy more eeriness like to really freak with people or you know really mess with people (laughs) Um, but yeah, if you guys hear the name Ari Aster, the, probably the one that really brought him to prominence was Hereditary, but the one that really, uh, that, you know, I'm also going to advocate that we watch for this on, or, you know, for our show is Midsommar, Midsummer, Midsommar. I don't know. I still don't know how to pronounce it. <laughs> I just call what, it Midsummer because it just sounds easier. Yeah, fine. It will be boring. Even though I'm pretty sure, you know, I I was I was practicing my Scandinavian skills, but yeah, like that's another movie that people ju- you just can't help but like draw the parallels between uh, Hereditary and Midsommar. Um, yeah, and I am going to push for us to review it, and I would really love to hear what you have to say about that. But that's about it. Just want to say that, and yeah, let's go ahead with the plot. Yeah, I think the last thing we can mention as well that this is Ari Aster's first uh, full-length film. So yeah. we really are watching, much like when we talk about like John Carpenter's Halloween, like we are really talking about this guy's first film with a budget, with a feature length and all that stuff. Um, mm-hmm. So the movie, the movie starts with the, <laughs> you're in Annie, uh, so our main character Annie Graham is played by a, uh, the wonderful actress who I can't remember. Tony now. Collette. Tony Collette. And Tony Collette, I I she looks so different than she did but before, but she uh plays the mother in the sixth sense, and that was the first time that I'd seen her in a in a film. And I haven't seen a ton of the stuff that she's in, but boy does she look different. And unfortunately, you know, the years have gone by and she definitely looks older. Uh, there's a bit of a Jamie Lee Curtis quality to her, <laughs> which is funny because I I think she plays Jamie Lee Curtis's daughter in Knives Out. <laughs> so yes, she does. Yeah. So, uh, but but she gives a fucking fantastic performance in this. But right the movie is the movie essentially revolves around her, and uh, it starts off in her workshop, and as the camera is closing in on the dollhouse. Uh, which I'm going to call it the dollhouse. It's essentially models, right? Like this, mm-hmm. this character makes models for, I don't know if it's like art exhibits or architecture models or whatever. So but they, I thought it was architecture. I thought she was an architect. Honestly, I thought she was like doing architecture models. Turns out she's just a miniature artist. Like mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure she does do it for everything, but it's never really explained what exactly is her career other than making miniatures. Yeah. But anyway, uh, yeah, we, we get the close up into this dollhouse and this shot was in the trailer. Uh, and it kind of just like was what got me so interested in this movie is it starts off as if you're going to like go into just like a, you know, an empty model. And as you're zooming in, that's when, uh, you know, the father of this family walks in the door and uh, his name is Steve. Steve Graham is the, is the patriarch um and he's waking up peter who is uh the oldest son and the you know well one of the main characters yeah one of the main characters of this movie and this actor the only thing the only other thing i'd really seen him in 
was uh <laughs> was Jumanji 2 like the second Jumanji movie which I I'm a fan of <laughs> hey, that I like bad, it dude it's so good I haven't seen the third one but that second Jumanji movie is uh, I, I think it's pretty good <laughs> who did he play in Jumanji uh he was he's the main character in Jumanji <laughs> um, what I forgot that's cool. yeah but Anyway, so so you know this kid is being woken up. He definitely seems like he doesn't want to go where they're all where they're all going, um, and where they are going is uh, the is the uh, funeral of Annie's mother. Yeah, so it turns out it's actually Ellen. Uh, I think yeah, her name is Ellen Lee. So she's passed away. The the earlier in the film, like the the opening crawl is replaced with an obituary uh, for Ellen Lee. And so we learned that she's Annie's mother. Uh, she also had a son by the name of Charles. Um, so right, right off the bat, this film tells us a lot without actually showing anything. Um, and so when they, when they get to the actual funeral house and they actually go through the, you know, they go through the ceremony or I'm sorry, through the service, and Annie gives her eulogy, you know, she makes an interesting observation saying that, you know, her mom was very secretive and that they, like, it, it took a while for her and her mother to finally kind of build a relationship, but how she always appreciated her, how she always was very maternal, especially with uh, Annie's own daughter, Charlie. And she also makes the observation that there's a, you know, she never would have guessed that her mom would have known so many people by the amount of people that show up, right? And then while they're there, they have interesting interactions with different folks. Charlie, uh, do we talk about Charlie yet? We have not, no. So Charlie is Annie's 13-year-old daughter. She's very... She's played by an actress named Millie Shapiro, who I guess this was her first film. And... Um... This she's girl eccentric. Well, she is. Yeah, <laughs> she is very in the vein of creepy horror movie kid. Um, <laughs> and I think the 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 interesting thing about this is that you know she it, it she seems like there's she has some sort of social disorder, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we don't that... know if she's on the spectrum or anything like that. Yeah. But it's just, but she just seems like she's not really able to relate to people. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'd make my argue, I'll make my argument later for who I think, for the reason why I think that is. But right off the bat, immediately, what I start to think with this movie is that a lot of it is going to be dealing with mental illness. Mm-hmm. Um, that, you know, that, that Annie's character is going to have like mental issues, that this whole family, right, because of the trailer that I've seen. And mm-hmm. that the kind of catalyst for all of the bad stuff that's happening is going to be Charlie. And Charlie is essentially going to be like the person who, who, who tricks them into the, just for you, Damien, like all that kind of stuff later. Like, <laughs> yeah. this was for you. Like, just where everybody turns into like, you know, her, like, her, her zombies like later or something like that. But You watch this movie and the entire time you're expecting Charlie to be the Antichrist. She is going to be the one that fucking, that, you know, has a has the, a cult looking after her and they're going to murder everyone just for her bidding, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and right off the bat, like for a minute, it actually even kind of turned me off of the movie at first because I was like, oh man, this trope again. No, oh, I'm kind of, but you know, it, it makes you keep pushing on. 
Um, but I did want to mention the importance of how creepy that funeral scene is, <laughs> especially with the creepy corner dude that's like staring at Charlie the whole time. This movie is filled with creepy, smiling people that okay. are in the distance. And the other movie, the, the reason why I said that this reminds me of something like Rosemary's Baby is, you know, it is a movie that, and I, and I felt this going into it and watching it just confirmed that uh, suspicion that I had. But we're watching a movie where this cult is essentially going to be kind of taking over this family somehow. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I think the, I get it now, uh, what the motif of the miniatures and the dollhouse, like, you know, the miniatures that look like dollhouses is, is essentially this family is, they are the marionette puppets for this cult that Ellen was part of. And um, I think it works both ways. I think part of it is that there's a real supernatural element to this cult. But at the same time, the hereditary title also refers to the fact that Ellen might have you know transmitted or like you know the way people as parents will transmit like any one of their personality traits or you know just like to their kids right like i mm-hmm. and i found it so like just in in simple things like i don't remember what it was that my wife was doing the other day she was cooking and i walk into the kitchen and <laughs> in a way that i remember my mom telling me all the time she goes i hate it when your dad just comes in and does this and just like doesn't really help cook but just kind of like advises on what to do or like just stands there and watches and stuff like that and I had that same thing to the point where I texted my sister and seemed to be like I'm turning into my dad (laughs) and (laughs) meanwhile my uncle's just at his house finally the transformation is complete (laughs) next thing you know you'll be a part of the cult of Paimon, Paimon, whatever the fuck. So some time passes from the funeral, about a week or so, and then Steve actually gets a phone call uh, telling him that Ellen's grave has been desecrated and Annie herself starts going through some some episodes, I guess, where she, where she thinks she can see Ellen's uh, spirit manifest in her in her workplace uh this really frightens annie to the point where she goes to a uh a grief group right like a bereavement group um to try to to try to get uh to try to get like some emotional support um and right off the bat she's very standoffish doesn't like talking or you know she she's not really there to um to talk or anything she's actually kind of invited for it being her first meeting and which i'm pretty sure most people are like that like i cannot imagine that you go into a grief counseling session you know just ready willing and able to tell a bunch of strangers like you know all of your anxieties that you're feeling i don't know dude is millennials and gen z pretty much use Twitter to talk about how horny and depressed they are all the damn time. <laughs> no, but I'm talking about I'm talking easier for us. Yeah, but Tony Collette is of a different generation than we are. Yeah, she is. She is very fetching for her generation as well. All right. Let's continue here, please. <laughs> please don't lust over Tony Collette. So I think here is actually where uh we get a little bit of more backstory on uh Charles, on her brother Charles. Right, so I believe he was he he took his life 
I forgot if they were young or if it was a couple years ago. I think he was young. He he was definitely in his teen years. That's right. Yeah. And I guess like the idea is that they all thought that he might have had schizophrenia, but but what he would actually talk about, and she mentions this in this uh, session, is that he said that his you know that his mother would try to put people inside of him, which is fucking terrifying, right? So creepy. It's like, the. Uh, it's the under- I think of molestation, you know. Well, no, it's to me. It's just. It's just the un. It's the. It's the understated horror of all of it. Like this is not a movie. This movie, I don't think, has a single jump scare except maybe one, and um, for the most part, really all the stuff that just creeps you out. Kind of like when we talked about Exorcist, is stuff that people say in dialogue, mm-hmm. or just these things that you think are innocuous, that when you think about it have a very frightening meaning to them the true and i'm gonna say it right now the true horror aspect that takes place in this film is the stuff we can't see happen on screen and i'll talk about it like the more it goes on but uh, you know i want people to keep that in mind if you haven't seen this movie you know watch it with that in mind right uh well i mean the chances are people watching this movie or not watching this movie and found this podcast are very slim. <laughs> oh, but yeah, dude, it's just, it's one of those things where it's just the creepiness. It's the, uh, the, the, I guess the insinuation, right? I don't know. It just putting people inside of me sounds creepy as shit. Like that was just such a good line. <laughs> Anyways. Right. So um, from this, uh, support group, Annie actually becomes friends with, uh, I wouldn't get ahead of ourselves yet. Um, oh, I, I think I no. After the after this session, she essentially doesn't go for a while, and in the interim, um, Peter, you find out, is you know likes to hang out with his stoner buddies, and uh, one of his friends invites him to a high school party. Oh, to which yeah. the most fucking bizarre thing about this movie is just like that makes you think just some weird shit is going on here. Is you know the fact that he well obviously he lies to his mom about what where he's going and what he's gonna do and his mom's like answer to that is take your sister with you and i think the craziest part about all this is peter should have just told her no all right what i'm doing is i'm actually going to a party and but instead he ends up actually taking his sister with him to the party that he's going to mom i'm trying to get my peepee touch i don't want to take charlie (laughs) and he it's so weird because like Annie even asks, are you going to be drinking? Like she knows he's lying and going to a high school party and she still kind of forces him to take uh, Charlie. Both of these people have really bizarre, like none of this makes sense. Like what is happening in this moment to me. And, um, and of course, I think what we didn't mention from the funeral scene is that we find out early in the film that Charlie, Charlie has a peanut allergy. And at this party <laughs> that, that they end up going to, uh, for some reason, they're baking goods at this party. <laughs> you know what I thought at first was it was edibles? But no, I, fuck you. I've been to parties where we, where we had, you know, people bake. <laughs> and sometimes right, well. it wasn't always edibles. All right. Well, you know, I, I guess I'm just out of touch with young people of today. But yeah, they yeah, go to a party. They go to a party where these high school kids are baking goods. And uh, what we don't know is that 
whatever. Well, well, we do know it because we see somebody chopping up a fuck ton of walnuts. <laughs> but, that was but, a shit ton of walnuts. <laughs> that was like a metric fuck ton of walnuts. It was like, like goddamn, do you want some cake with your nuts? Like, <laughs> and what's funny is like they just put it all on the chopping board and they just fucking ah, like iron chef that shit. Just like this, Charlie. Like this, when Charlie saw this cake, did she not see that it was like just dripping with nuts? Like, I don't understand. But anyway, she uh, she ends up eating cake at this party while Peter's in another room fucking off, like uh, getting high with some girl whose ass he was staring at in school or or whatever, right? And while he's, you know, once he like comes out of the room or Charlie goes to him. That's when uh, we find out that, you know, that she has eaten some of the nuts inside the cake and uh, she is now running, you know, running low on oxygen and is having a intense allergic reaction, which, you know, uh, you need to have an EpiPen. You need to, like, get to a doctor right away when you're having this issue. And the funny thing is that this movie sets this up and... This is where the the twist comes in the movie, and as much as I'd like to pretend that it like completely shocked me and blew me away, I was aware of this moment in the movie. Mm-hmm. And um, so you know, it we, we get in the car. You if you didn't know about it before, for sure. Uh, Charlie and Peter get in the car. Uh, he's driving to a hospital, and as she can't breathe, she rolls down the window so that she can. L- basically put her head out the window and try to get some air she jokes it from dark night which you know obviously is dangerous and you never want to do but as someone who this is different but as someone who's had like asthma attacks and stuff like that like like when you have like lung spasms or something where you just cut where your air is just completely cut off from you like you will do what you can even if it doesn't kind of make any sense like just to try to get some air into your body right away um so as she is like out this window uh peter is driving very fast down this road and you see some sort of animal carcass on the road and he swerves and when he swerves this telephone pole completely decapitates charlie um holy fuck when i saw this i had no idea that was gonna happen Uh, so i'm really mad that unfortunately that was ruined for you because holy shit did that like that moment like it fucked with me because it was one of those i literally blinked and i missed charlie getting her head taken off like i had to rewind it and double check like did i just fucking watch what i think i watched did oh, this and, movie just kill off the 13 year old girl oh and this movie doesn't just kill her off and show you the shock that peter deals oh, with no no like, no no it like it's way worse for sure like again this is a movie when i was first watching it i knew what was gonna happen i was going through the story and i was like yeah, this is kind of creepy it for sure is but at the same time like i was like man like this is so this is, you know, like, to me, I was just like, man, this feels kind of, like, not great. Like, why does everybody think it's so good? And, you know, I, I knew this was coming, and I was like, yeah, 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 it's shocking. But, you know, because I knew what it was, like, it obviously wasn't much. When Peter drives home after mm-hmm. this happens, um, and you find out that he got out of the car and just went to bed <laughs> yep. without telling anyone. For like, any or, 
find Charlie's corpse decapitated in the back seat the next day. Holy the implication. <laughs> it's just so fucking crazy, dude. And it's weird because it's like you don't fully blame him for it. Because no, not at all. Like it's a, a it's a complete accident that this happened. B, you could totally believe that he's in shock from this issue. See, how would you react right after something like that happened where you like inadvertently murdered your younger sibling? Like it's he, such a fantastically filmed scene too. Like Ari Oster really like, I call it the Aster shot. <laughs> Not in like a weird creepy making fun of the money shot way, but because he does the same exact thing in Midsummer where he does this shot where the camera cuts like two or three times from from unrelated scenes but it plays the audio of the last scene you're gonna see so you know he has the scene where or so he has the audio of annie like crying like inconsolable meanwhile it's like the camera is zooming in on charlie's decapitated head on the side of the road covered in ants and shit just it's so eerie but at the same time you can't you you don't only feel horror like you don't only feel creeped out by it but you feel like the sorrow that annie's going through and i think that shot is great and i've seen i've seen ari oster do it twice now and he is you know knocked it out of the park each time like it it was fucking good man and, you know, and we didn't really talk about it, but before this whole party scene happened, um, when when Annie's in her shop and she's working on one of the models, uh, she looks in the corner of her workshop and she sees her mother, like, like an apparition of her mother just smiling at her in the dark. Fucking smiling old people in this movie, I swear it's, to fucking Christ. It's so terrifying because... You go, you like, you think it's gonna do the what every movie does, which is you turn the light on and then you turn the light back off, like, and then something jumps out at you, and or you hear like the musical sting that just like gives you the jump scare because that's just what all movies are doing now, and that doesn't happen here, and it just sits there and creeps you out, and at the same time, there's so much stuff that's happening in the background that you kind of don't even really think about until after you've seen the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, the pole that ends up decapitating Charlie. Um, I think the scene when they're driving to the party or to the funeral or something like that, there is a scene where you see that pole previously and it actually has the payment symbol uh, mm-hmm. engraved on it. Uh it's i'm telling you dude the the real movie that takes place in hereditary is all the shit that goes on in the background it's fucking crazy yeah like the amount of detail that that they focus on in this film yeah like this movie is literally about this cult like putting everything into motion for all of these like this rip for all these ripples like to come every and 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 shift everything to what they want right Mm -hmm. because after after this happens and of course you see the scene where annie is like crying and screaming and talking about how she wants to die like you just know that it's just like the overwhelming grief and we've talked about it like when we did a quiet place but it's just the overwhelming grief that you must feel from losing a child like it is life-changing um 
and I would never want to experience that. And I hope that no one I know, like, you know, in my group of contemporaries ever has to experience something like that either. You know, it, it's really shocking and, and awful, but it's, you know, it's, it's something you ser- you literally can't imagine for sure. It's something you can't uh, even fathom until you're actually going through it. Right. And unfortunately this family is going through it and they have, um, and you know, you see it like it, like immediately Annie, Annie and Peter aren't in the same scene for the next like five minutes or like 10 minutes of the film. And everything is, and it's pretty much over. Like their relationship, like if whatever it seemed like they might've had, which it didn't seem like much early on. You can tell they're trying to avoid each other. Like you can tell like Annie wants nothing to do with Peter at the time. Peter has no idea what to say. Uh, During this time, um, Annie actually gets reached out to by a friend by a friend of her mother's who was going to the same grief uh, grief counseling group which Uh, you know what's funny about that is and i didn't really think about it until after the movie was over so the second time that annie goes to grief counseling this woman comes up to her in the parking lot mm -hmm. that woman is not in the grief counseling scene before then or is she Hmm. did you see her in there because i don't remember seeing her in there she's the one that invites annie to to speak like when they well oh, when wow. they she's the oh, so this, wow. is what, this is what's really interesting so i'll send you the video after the after the we're done recording the episode but i really wanted to show you this video that was it's like a 10 minute youtube video and it's uh everything that ta- all the little details that take place in hereditary and one, the guy, I forgot what the dude's name is, uh, but the guy was talking about uh, on this video essay how Joan, the moment the, 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 the moderator for the group says, would anyone like to speak? Joan immediately looks at Annie to get her to speak. Oh, wow. And it's like, it's, the whole thing is implying that the cult of Paimon is, is completely controlling uh, the Graham's life. It's fucking crazy. And you know what? And and, and do you... It, when's the last time that you watched Rosemary's Baby? Shit. <laughs> Maybe like two years ago? We need to rewatch it. And, and I haven't seen that movie in years either. But what I do remember about that movie is that what's similar about it is our main character, you know, Rosemary, is like, like you know, her neighbors that live in the Dakota building with her they essentially do the same thing. Mm-hmm. They give her stuff to drink. They tell her where to go. They tell her what doctor to see. Like all these things that they imply and you're just like, wow, these are really good neighbors and stuff like that. What becomes frightening about it is just, and it is frightening. Like it's like the, the unpredictable kindness of strangers. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, people that it seems like you have, they have your well-being in mind and you become comfortable with them or so comfortable with them right away that you let your guard down and you allow yourself to be taken in all these different directions, you know, and, and it is, and it's frightening because, you know, if there's someone who, who, you know, goes to recovery groups and stuff like that, like, like, that's the thing. It's like, if you're not, if you're, if you're going to the wrong place, like, the power of suggestion could do any sort of thing for you. Right. Which is why mm-hmm. it's important to stick to whatever the purpose of the group that you're going to is. Um, and this woman, what's her name? Uh, Joan. 
Joan. Joan is yeah, she's the leader of the the cult. Okay, I think I just want to call her Lydia because she's in The Handmaid's Tale, and I think that's what her character's name is in that show. <laughs> so to she's you, the villain, she's Lydia. Well, she's yeah, she. So Joan is obviously a villain to me when I see her because of the actress who's playing her. Um, but she like you know they tell each other their story of grief and all that kind of stuff, and I'm pretty sure that Joan is also the person who dropped that seance. Uh, you know, invitation in her in, oh into God, Annie's mail. I'm so <laughs> glad you got that. So that was actually one of those things is that she tries to, they try to pique Anne's interest with the seance, like pamphlet. Mm-hmm. And when it doesn't work, because clearly this is a family in grief, so they're not even checking their mail. Like the very next time she, Annie sees Joan, she invites her to do the seance, right? Right. And, and, and I'll tell you this, as someone who, who is in recovery groups and stuff like that, what makes me very suspicious of Joan right away is if you're in a support group of any kind, the person who, you know, if you're, if you're like debating on whether or not to go inside the meeting, this person, the person who you're talking to, they're not going to invite you anywhere else. Mm-hmm. they're gonna ask they're like even if you're looking for let's say like a sponsor in an aa group or something like that like they'll tell you okay why don't we go inside you know stay for the meeting or whatever and then then we can talk afterwards or anything like that right like like any kind of group where you're kind of being welcomed into you will still attend whatever session that is mm-hmm. and the fact that that you know that they're it, that they're really just having a session outside just the two of them tells me right away that something that's not good something's not on the up and up yeah yes oh man so during this time we get uh we actually have annie's uh sleepwalking comeback so apparently annie annie tells joan the story about how when she she used to sleepwalk and that her relationship with peter pretty much ended the night that uh he frightened or she frightened Peter and Charlie uh, by throwing paint thinner on them while they were sleeping completely, completely in her, in her sleep, sleepwalking, um, unaware of what she was doing. And she came to while lighting matches and trying to set herself and her children on fire. Um, Which is frightening also, right? Shit. Like I, I hate stuff with sleepwalking because I don't do it now as an adult. When I was a kid, I was a sleepwalker. Oh, fuck off. Are you serious? Yeah, absolutely. Did we ever talk about this on the show? I might have mentioned it when we did Paranormal Activity. But, um, yeah, like, essentially, like, when I was young, like, my mom would, would have to lead me when I was sleepwalking if I did. Uh, so, so, definitely. But it would just <laughs> Wake be... Wake up, motherfucker! Just start shaking. <laughs> well, it's more like a thing where it's like you would be asleep and the next thing you know, you wake up near the bathroom or something like that, right? That's... Oh, that's terrifying to think about. For sure. It's absolutely terrifying. But in this whole thing, it's just... It's frightening because all you're doing is thinking about what it, what it might have been like, right? Mm-hmm. And this movie is really piquing my interest now because it's like, wow, it's like, God, this movie feels like it's about something completely different than what I thought it was going to be about. Um, it's probably still about grief. And I think instead of it being that, like, you know, mental illness, maybe her mom is just like a psychopath, like for real, like, and, and, and we're going to end up with a here's Johnny situation at the end of it. But, um, (laughs) but yeah, no, it's, it's, it's interesting to hear her tell the story about what's happened. 
Um, and obviously it gives you a lot of insight as to why her and Peter don't have much of a relationship, right? Yeah. So I believe uh, it was at this point that Joan invites Annie to try to show her of the, to try to show, try to conduct the seance, right? And so Joan explains to Annie how she went to a seance herself with all these other like skeptic scientific types. And now they were able to actually see a manifestation. So she said that she got in contact with her grandson, I believe it was. I think his name is Billy. I don't know. Some generic name doesn't matter. Right. So Joan um, says she grabs the chalkboard and she grabbed the chunk. You, what you need is you say an incantation or you say, you say a, 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 a excerpt of words, and then you have to light a candle and you bring an object that belongs to the person you wish to speak to. So she brings, so first she uses a cup to summon uh, her grandson and she gives simple rules, you know, to turn the cup to the left or right, depending on uh, if they're there or not. So the cup slides, scaring the absolute shit out of Annie. And Joan, like, tearfully, like, joyous tears are rolling down her eyes as she's getting in contact with her grandson. And to prove that it is her grandson, he writes a message using his old chalkboard saying, I love you, Grandma. So understandably... Annie freaks the shit, freaks the fuck out at the creepy shit going on and ends up leaving. However, before she leaves, Joan makes sure that she um, you know, gives her the gives her the the incantation and tells her to uh try it, that it will really work, and she'll be reunited with her daughter, right? And I believe is this the night, the 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 family dinner fight scene? It might be. And, and it's interesting. I mean, we probably should mention, even though we didn't really talk about him much compared to Peter, but uh, the, the father character, what was his name again? Steve. Steve. Um, he actually ends up being like the most like level-headed member of this family. Like, oh, yeah. He's just trying to keep everyone together. Like he is really almost inhumanly like able to suppress all of the crazy feelings that he's, that he's experiencing. And I don't know where, I think I read this in a review of this movie cause I didn't really get it from the film, but I think he's some sort of psychologist or psychiatrist. I think so. And he, which he's obviously, some educated dude. Yeah. Yeah. Which like obviously like makes it make sense, but he's essentially like the emotional tether for everyone in this family. And his relationship is also being strained by Annie because she doesn't really tell him where she's going. Mm-hmm. She doesn't really tell him what she's feeling. Um, she's and- closed off and she's using her miniatures as a way, like she, she, she recreates the accident, the scene of the accident where Charlie died. But like, which is so fucked up. Like, oh and like, my and, God. And, and and I'm and, very glad that he even says it. Yeah, yeah. I'm very glad that he mentioned it to her. Like, how awful it, it would be if uh, Peter actually finds out what she's doing, mm-hmm. because he's obviously just ridden with guilt. Like to the point where when he's hanging out with his friends uh, and they're all like smoking weed under the bleachers or something like yeah. that, <laughs> he he ends up actually having. Uh, 
kind of an panic asthma attack, attack or yeah. some sort of panic attack. And he ends up saying the exact same thing that Charlie said earlier, which was my throat's getting bigger. And oh it's almost God. like, and it's almost like he de-ages in that moment. Like, because mm-hmm. there's a couple times in this movie where he cries and hats off to him for, for, for being able to just ugly cry like so much throughout this movie, because it's not something that we normally see when men cry in films. Um, but yeah, it, it feels like he almost becomes the younger sibling when he's just freaking out and having these panic attacks. The moments where he reverts and he starts calling out for Annie saying, mommy, I'm just like, my heart drops. It sinks. I'm like this poor kid. He's fucking, he's, his suffering is never going to end. Yeah. And the scene that they have at the dinner table where they start blaming each other for, for Charlie's death you know um it's absolutely heartbreaking to watch because you you know obviously like people are over they're overcome by grief so they're liable to say anything and you're gonna say things that are gonna absolutely hurt whoever is there and that is that's the nature of real family arguments Mm -hmm. like when you have issues inside of your family sometimes when you're arguing you're gonna say things that are absolutely inhumane and hurtful i've done it I've said some shit to my parents I, I regret saying. I'm sure you've done it. I'm as a, sure your as a daughter's going to do it. <laughs> well, as a spouse too, right? I mean, like just anyone that you have a familial relationship with, you're, you're not always going to be happy with people every single moment of every day, especially when you're dealing with stress. Right now, we're all dealing with an unbelievable amount of anxiety and just like, you know, mental issues now from the fact that we are all forced to self-isolate from people around us like that's you know you're in this i'm in my house every single day i work from home i i'm with my daughter every single day you know it's like it just happens right like for what mm-hmm. the, the circumstances around you get you, tired of each other <laughs> yeah the circumstances around you will cause this to happen yeah and and fucking Tony Collette does a fantastic like they both like both her uh both Tony Collette and Alex Wolf do a fantastic job in this in this scene where they're just like yelling at each other but Tony Collette when she goes off and she gives the line you know what am i supposed to do i'm tired of all this uh what was it the contempt and the sarcasm and that fucking dumb face on your face <laughs> Mm-hmm. like she was she's she does such a good job of just just it may, really makes you fucking empathize you and know? one one thing that we should that we that i really want to bring up now because we talked about elevated horror and i hope that people learn the lesson from this but a lot of people were upset uh when tony collette was left out of the nominations for the oscars for her performance in this film Mm-hmm. And I absolutely believe that uh, specifically in this scene, like why was she snubbed for this? Like there's mm-hmm. no reason why she shouldn't have been, you know, like, like in, in, in the running for the Academy of this, because like I said, it is Jamie Lee Curtis level. Like she is the, she is the anchor of this film, especially in this moment. Between that scene, obviously number one being the, 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 the dinner scene. But also the dream sequence where Peter has the nightmare. No, 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 no. And Annie has the nightmare that she sets herself and Peter on fire. You know the scene where um, where she like throws the paint thinner on him, and then he's like, "Mom, what are you doing?" Yeah, no. And then she just so this scene says, 
I never wanted you as I never wanted to be your mother. I was like, holy fuck. No, no, no. Okay. So so one of the things that I, that that is great about this movie is like I said, like my opinion changed on it several times. The mm-hmm. beginning of this movie, I was like, well, this seems a little overrated. People probably thought it was better than it was. The portion after the death of Charlie, I'm like, okay, this is something that it looks, you know, it's better than what I was thinking when I first started watching this movie. Mm-hmm. This scene, it doesn't start off like like an obvious dream. Like, it really is Tony Collette's, like, it, it's Annie, like, going into Peter's room and seeing the ants and bugs and creatures crawling all over his face like they were around the decapitated head of Charlie, right? Mm -hmm. And he he wakes up and you get the scene where he's, you know, where he's talking, where he's talking to Annie and, 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 but he's not, he's not covered in paint thinner. He's dry. And she's dry. Like, both of them are completely dry. And it, and it feels, when this scene is starting, like, it feels like this is happening the night right after dinner. Mm-hmm. And, and, and they're having, like, an, like a, another post-argument thing. The only part about it that, that confused me a little bit was the Where's Charlie part. And that's where I was like, man, it's like, this movie kept me guessing. Because I was like, I was like, huh. I was like, is she seeing, like, you know, like, apparitions of Charlie like she was of her mother? Mm-hmm. Like, is she sleepwalking and that's the reason why she's in here? Like, you know, what is it that's happening? Like, is a jump scare going to happen? And then as they start getting more, like, louder with Emotional, each other, yeah. and he starts saying, why did you try to kill me? Why did you try to kill me? That's when you cut to him having the paint thinner all over his face and then and then uh, Annie having the paint thinner all over her as well. Oh God! Man. And it just those two scenes were fantastic. <laughs> yeah, the editing is really good because it like, and that's the this is the moment where I was just like, okay, I get it now. I get mm-hmm. why people were saying that this was like one of the best horror movies of the last decade, and why they were <laughs> holding it up with all these great horror movies. I get it now, and and, and it and it's funny too because again, in Rosemary's Baby, there's a lot of scenes too where it's like there's a dreamlike quality to it and you're not sure what is stuff that's just happening by happenstance or you're not sure what's happening because the cult is making it happen and you're not sure what's a dream and when who's awake and what time they're awake at like it's just there is it's very Polanski to me this Um, isn't a dream it's real (laughs) yeah no for real like it, it it really is like kind of just you know, does that to me. And the part that freaks me out about this uh, is the scene where uh, Peter's in bed and Annie is like grabbing him from behind the headboard mm-hmm. and like shaking him and it's just fucking frightening. Trying to like take his head off. Yeah. Oh my god. It, 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 yeah. Anytime they're in Peter's room, it's fucking terrifying. Um, so eventually, uh, Annie actually wants to try the seance. And she's successful on her own to the point where, uh, you know, she, where she's able to summon Charlie's spirit who draws in her old sketchbook. Because the thing is, Charlie used to love sketching. That was the, kind of her outlet, right? So she, it, it, ecstatic, she tries to bring in Peter and uh, Steve. I almost forgot Steve's name. But she, so she walks him through the rules of the seance that they have to hold hands. They all have to be there together in order to summon Charlie. So at first, Steve is just completely, he's not flippant, but you can tell he doesn't want to do it. 
Yes. And you can tell that this is, I mean, he already was highly uncomfortable with the argument that Annie and Peter had at dinner. And Annie comes off as completely unhinged in this scene. And you're just like, yeah, Peter's good. Like, I mean, Steve's had enough of this shit. Like, <laughs> He's like, I want to go back to a normal life. Uh, and eventually they, 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 using the cup, they, they get a reaction from the spirit again. Suddenly. And you know what? We haven't even talked about one time throughout this, but we probably should talk about what? is how frightening. And this was a, I guess in the character who, who the actress who played Charlie is actually the one who came up with this, but the sound that she makes when she clicks her tongue. Mm-hmm. Is the jump her. scares in this movie like she came up with it and and you know in scenes where you feel Charlie's presence it's very quiet or even the scene when Annie was driving it's just like you're the presence could be there but it's not until the moment that you hear that you realize that something is like just instantly happening right <laughs> yeah it's true and that's the only real jump scare in the movie that I can think of. Like, just auditory jump scares, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, so at this point... And it's it, so good, because normally you associate a jump scare with, like, a sound that, like, causes a musical sting and the music to kind of go crazy and stuff like that. Whereas, like, this jump scare, when you hear the sound of her tongue clicking, the music just cuts. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic. So, yeah. So, it's again, this movie is really good at subverting a lot of the expectations that I had when I started watching it. So during the seance, Annie actually kind of goes into a trance-like state. And at one point, it appears that Charlie is in Annie's body. Yes. And she starts freaking out and starts asking Mommy what's going on. And then she sees Peter. And then she starts talking about how she's scared. Peter almost completely regresses into a child, just terrified, telling, like, just begging Annie to stop just to please stop this. Mm -hmm. Um, Steven, just furious, doesn't know what to do. He goes into the kitchen, grabs a cup of water. And while Annie is freaking out, he just like throws water in her face to get her to break, like break the, from the trance. Um, At that point, um, you know, Steven is, is tired and he, he like wants, Annie to get rid of the get rid of the sketchbook and he's tired of all the the seance and all the bullshit and he wants everyone to move on he takes Peter upstairs uh to get Peter to bed and if I remember correctly Annie tries to actually burn the sketchbook at this point right this is yes. when she tries to burn the sketchbook in the uh family's fireplace but when she throws it in the moment the sketchbook starts lighting her sleeve catches fire so she pulls the sketchbook out and ends up taking the fire or, you know, putting the fire out on her sleeve. Haha, I lied. Actually, <laughs> before Annie uh, tries to burn the book, um, what she ends up doing is she actually goes to uh, Joan's apartment to try to find out what the hell is going on. So Joan doesn't pick up or, or Joan doesn't answer the door, but we get that shot of the camera panning back. And we see like a weird miniature model of what a se- of the seance setup that was in uh, the Graham's home, mm-hmm. and it's super eerie. Like you see just a lot of candles, and again we see the symbol of Paimon uh, in the apartment. 
Well, and, and the other thing too, where where Annie basically figures out that that Joan is not someone who's trying to help her, and kind of a sinister presence is when she looks at the floor mat and sees that it's like some sort of monogrammed floor mat that matches a lot of the items that were monogrammed by Ellen when she was alive. So she goes home and she goes through all her mom's old things and finds out that Joan is in a lot of pictures with Ellen and she finds uh, pictures of weird like cult-like ceremonies and garbs and um, a lot of like, like she finds I think a, a throw pillow that has her brother's name on it we then i know i don't know if we ever mentioned it, but the whole reason charlie's name charlie was actually because of her brother charles yep so that was something that we, that we will go into in a little bit <laughs> but you know she she's able to make the connections and then she finds a book that has the name of the demon paymon who we've been throwing in, uh, around all willy-nilly right mm-hmm. and it was at this point you see a lot of flies in the attic and we find out that Paymon is actually well. I'm sorry. Before we see the flies in the attic, we find out that Paymon is actually trying to inhabit a male a male body. Yes. And even before that, in another one of these, the thing you didn't realize right away, but it's something that actually happened in the movie. There is a moment in the movie where Steve gets a phone call, and he's being told that Ellen's grave was desecrated and that the remains were dug out. Yep. Again, that uh, the the scariest things happen without us even knowing, right? So when Annie goes up into the attic, you see a bunch of flies. And as she like looks through, she finds Ellen's corpse completely like, like it's all necrotic and gross looking, but it's missing its head. It's completely decapitated. So Annie freaks out (laughs) and she finds, and you know, she sees, and again, what do we see on the wall written in blood? The symbol of Paimon. So at school, this is this is where the attention to detail is fantastic. So Peter, following like weird light shows um, around the around his school, uh, that that's something that we forgot to mention was kind of like how they play with lighting and how uh, Paymon influences using light. Um, because like there was that uh there was a couple scenes where where you can see like a flash of light somewhere on the corner of a screen and then something happens right um in this scene in particular we see a lot of things going on uh in school and we actually see this this uh this scene where steve steve sorry where uh peter's sitting in sitting in class and he looks over at a cupboard with glass and he sees a uh, reflection of himself. But we, the, the, the Peter we see is completely just stone faced, kind of, if anything, kind of frowning. And then the, 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 the Peter's reflection that we see is him smiling. And it's like a creepy smile, right? And at this point, Peter that goes into like a weird canatonic stand um catatonic state where his arm twists in like an unnatural manner and then he his face is all distorted and then he just slams his face on the desk twice like shaking him right breaking his nose and the reason why i love the attention to detail here is because of the line that annie gives us during the fight where she says you have that stupid face on your face 
because what that means to me anyway was that I think Peter isn't in control of his body the way we we would think he is. And I feel that the the smiling reflection was actually like the beginning of Paimon taking over his body. And that's why like it, it, the his uh his face, the face on his face isn't actually like what his true emotion is. I don't know. I would actually argue that the seance scene where they thought they were conjuring the spirit of Charlie is actually the scene where Paimon got put into the body of Peter. You think so? Absolutely. I I don't know. That's a thing. It's at what point does Paimon enter his body? I feel like that seance was absolutely the transfer of the demon into, into the human host. Because it only worked when Annie was holding hands with Peter. Sure, she was holding hands with Steve as well, but specifically when she was holding hands with Peter. And uh, yeah, and, and, and it seemed like specifically the presence was focusing on scaring him. God, it's just, it was just so good. Like it, the fact that that's the, the smile, the smirking Peter goes back to that line. I was just oh, yeah. like, holy shit. It's dude. the creepy, it, to me it was, uh, at least at the time, it was the creepiest scene in the trailer. Oh my god. So um Steve ends up going to pick up uh he ends up picking up uh Peter on a white blank on his name. <laughs> so Steve picks up Peter from school. He's all messed up from the um yeah, basically broke his, his nose, yeah, essentially. He, he straight broke his own nose. Annie is waiting outside like a fucking lunatic. And she's like, as soon as they come in, she's like banging on Peter's window. I'm sorry, Peter's window, uh, Steve's window to try to like talk about um, everything she's found out. And Peter's and then, not trying to hear it. No, um, neither one. I mean, like, not Peter. Steve, Steve, done, Steve yeah. is not trying to hear it. And she, that's where like, that's the moment where she actually shows Steve the body of her mother. And uh, that's where she is, you know, ready to, to say, okay, well, you got to throw the sketchbook into the fireplace. You know, uh, what we did was not what we thought it was. I'm getting played by this cult, essentially, right? Mm-hmm. And Steve, even like before, like, what the hell are you talking about? Now it's even more of what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> and uh, the moment that she ends up throwing that book inside the fireplace, that's when uh, it's actually Steve that ends up bursting into flames. <laughs> yep. And he ends up catching on fire. Annie stares horrified. And that's that and that's what I was telling you about how Tony Collette just has an amazing horrified face. Oh yeah. No, her 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 terrified face is actually one of the most frightening things in this movie. <laughs> and she's just so she's terrified. And then you see Paimon's light wash over her, like just really quickly. And suddenly her face just changes. And you can tell she's possessed. At that point, she's done. Yep. Uh, Peter wakes up in uh, in his bed, and he ends up going downstairs. And no, no, goes, no, no! Did you oh, see it? No, you didn't see it. When when Peter wakes up, did you notice anything in the ceiling? No. Annie is in the room the entire time. Holy shit! Are you Annie serious? Is up in the corner of the ceiling. In the living room or in his bedroom? No, 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 no! In his bedroom. Oh, I fucking missed that. I will show it to you later. All right. But she is chilling when he wakes up and when he turns to try to like put on shoes, you see her float away downstairs. Ugh. It all is right. so fucking creepy. All right, dude. all right, all right. I'll have to check it out because I really just got chills with you saying that right now. 
<laughs> so after that, he goes downstairs, and that's where you start noticing the 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 people in the in the background, right? You start noticing the naked cultists and the creepy guys in the fucking doorway. Oh yeah, no, those fucking guys that are that are just smiling at him in the dark. They look exactly like uh, like Ellen did earlier in the movie. So you can't tell if it's like live cultists or like just dead cultists that are coming back from the grave and just coming and scaring the shit out of everybody but no, like no no kidding like i really appreciate that a lot of this episode has literally been you and me both telling each other oh what about this thing what about this thing what about this thing it's one of the things that makes this movie good it's the fact that the more you think about it like the more you discover about it it's it's so crazy dude and <laughs> all right then, so like, when peter time. actually yeah, so when Peter actually goes downstairs, and I, that's the scene where I do see Annie in the corner mm-hmm. in the darkness, and uh, you get that horror movie thing where Nick, the camera pans down with the character when the character puts his head down, or it just like, or it switches to another direction, and then when it goes back to Peter in the same position that it was in before, Annie's gone from the ceiling. Oh, and <laughs> yeah and you just know that something scary is gonna happen and that it's gonna be some sort of crazy jump scare and while it's not a jump scare in the traditional sense of a jump scare the moment that she runs out of the shadows chasing after him i like like i i got a jolt of <laughs> just watching that because i was not expecting that to happen at all oh i saw it I mean, that was my second time watching that movie, and I forgot about that. And my sphincter tightened. I'm not going <laughs> to so, so, and he chases Peter up into the fucking, uh, up into the, into the attic. And we get that creepy shot where Annie's, like, hanging from the ceiling, just banging her head at a very, like, ungodly speed. Totally reminds me of the, of the Herkiger turkey head shaking from jacob's ladder and then um when we're outside or no i'm sorry not when we're outside uh when we're in the attic like peter starts noticing the sign of paimon again and he gets distracted right and when he Mm -hmm. looks back he sees that somehow um somehow annie is in the is in the attic yes. and he hears floating like, you hear this floating and you hear like a weird squeaky noise and it takes you a minute to realize that when you know he gets closer we realize that she's actually has piano wire wrapped around her neck and the squeaking is her pulling on the wire sl- like sawing her own head off yes and it goes and then, like, as she speeds up, trying to cut her head off, you know, uh, Peter turns around and sees more fucking naked old people yes. <laughs> smiling at him. And fucking just, fuck this, like, jumps out the window. Uh, and when he falls out the window, you hear the thud of Peter hitting the window. And then after that, you hear the piano wire squeaking stop abruptly along with the sound of uh, Annie's head hitting the hardwood floor. Oh fuck! So I don't know if you notice it, but there's a certain point where, like, you see the light, like a plane with the lighting again. You actually see a shadow leave from Peter's body, 
as the light, Paimon's light, like you see that little light like go down and enter his body, right? In uh, the yeah. idea, I don't know if you ever saw that. Again, I'll send in that video. <laughs> yeah, no worries. But um, at, at this point, the, the transformation of Paimon is complete. So as Peter like looks over to his right, you see the headless corpse of Annie floating and just goes up into the treehouse, the first place where we see Charlie in this in the entire film, right? Yeah, and, and it's funny too because it's, again, it's one of those things that we hadn't talked about this entire review. But early in the movie, Steve finds uh, Charlie in the treehouse and tells her, you know, it's cold up here. Why are you sleeping up here? And after the death of Charlie, uh, both Peter and Annie at some points want to be up in inside that treehouse. And when Annie sleeps there, she even brings. Uh, that heater mm-hmm. and the so the orange light that you see inside the treehouse is from that heater god yeah you can see this orange light uh peter starts walking over and as he looks around you see more and more cultists like in along the tree line of their yard because of course this is one of those open ass in the forest like backyards that are creepy as fuck yep so he climbs up and in there, we see at least like 12 other people naked, just bowing before Peter. And here we see a statue or a statue, like a mannequin with his hand put out in the form of, or in the symbol of Paimon. And we have the corpse, the corpses of Annie and Ellen before this statue, which actually has uh, Charlie's head mounted at the very top, <laughs> and then it's kind of like, which is kind of like a callback to earlier in the film when you find out that Charlie is a builder herself. Like she puts together kind of these like grotesque like playthings, <laughs> you know? Oh, where she used the pit, where she cuts off the dead pigeon's head. Yeah, <laughs> <gasps> and yeah, and that's exactly right. Like she uses that to create like a weird mannequin with the pigeon head on top, right? Which is one of the things that actually gives me the impression. And I don't know if this is truly how I feel yet, but one of the things that I've kind of thought about is possible in this movie is payment might be Charlie in the beginning of this film. And that's why Charlie is so weird, mm-hmm. you know? And that one of them is like the fact that it's not that she has some sort of social disorder. It's the fact that maybe payment is trying to act like what he thinks a human acts like <laughs> not only that remember payment needs a human i mean a male human host and he is very clearly not in a human host if that theory is true you know yes. so you know, on top of that like it's the whole un you know unprepared to be who he really is right so at this point uh, you know, Joan introduces herself and she reveals that Peter is now Paimon and that they were, that they are a cult that worships Paimon and that they hope Paimon will bring them, will reward their loyalty and their love with uh, riches and pretty much controlling those they wish to be controlled, right? Which, call back to Rosemary's Baby, one of the reasons why this curse befalls upon Rosemary is because a character in the film is looking for, you know, uh, human riches and all that kind of stuff. So, again, bringing that parallel ever so closer. 
And finally, the the film ends with Peter being crowned as the as King Paimon, and the camera pounds back, revealing like a weird, you know, almost suggesting that the final scene takes place in one of Annie's um, miniature models, right? Yes, it's complete. It is complete. The these people becoming puppets or dolls or playthings of this cult has now been fully completed. And of course the film has to end with Peter clicking his tongue the same way his sister used to. Yep. And fade to black. We get hereditary with an old timey fancy song playing with the cool little creepy thing where one letter, the red letter drops into the next person's name, like, you know, symbolizing the actual title of hereditary. (laughs) (laughs) Oh God! There, this is such a fucking dense movie, dude. <laughs> mm-hmm. This is—it's one of those things where it's like we've been—I don't know how long we've been recording this episode now, but it feels like we're, like we're barely like talked maybe about a quarter or a third of what like all the craziness that goes on. <laughs> right, and uh, I guess it really just leads us to 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 the end of our show. So. You know, obviously, do you have any final thoughts or what do you think of Hereditary? I think it is a fucking fantastic movie. And I think that the more you watch it, the more you'll pick up on certain things. And just the attention to detail, like, it's it's incredible some of the things um, that you miss the first time around. And it takes you a couple of... Um, it takes you a couple of of views to actually like really appreciate everything. Um, like I, if anyone gets a chance, I highly recommend the, if you look up hereditary explained on YouTube it's the third video down by heavy spoilers. And he like the guy heavy spoilers goes super into detail about all the hidden things that go on in hereditary. And the fact that, they do their homework on Paimon on the, on the understanding of Paimon as a, as like the villain of the movie. Right. Um, And I just really got to appreciate that because it does so much creating backstory and also kind of invites you as a, as a viewer to kind of look into how they created this world. Right. Um, Yeah. I got to say that this is, it was a fantastic film. I absolutely love all the things that go on behind it. Um, I thought it was creepy as shit. I thought, uh, I was about to call her Annie. <laughs> Tony Collette did a fantastic job. But then on, on watching my second view through, um, yeah, like, I, you notice the entire family did a good job. The, you know, Charlie, Peter, Steve, all of them did a fantastic job. It kind of reminds me of like how I felt about Poltergeist and that's the fact that, you know, like I believed like the fact that this family is just drifting further and further apart, whereas like the Poltergeist family is very close together. They still both feel like real families to me. Mm -hmm. And because I believe uh, in this family and the world that's been created here, I'm able to go along with it. And uh, which I guess leads me to my thoughts on it. I thought it was really great. Um, it ended up being way better than I thought it was going to be. And I thought it was going to be good. I just didn't think I was going to kind of come away thinking about it so much as I did. So I appreciate having the opportunity to be able to talk about it. But I, and I really do feel like this is a movie where if we did this podcast again, after I'd seen it like two or three more times, 
I probably would have completely different thoughts on it or just like we'll have discovered all this extra layer of detail. So, um, you know, for those who maybe might think that our review is a little all over the place because we kept going back to things that we were remembering, I think it's kind of neat to have a movie that does that. And uh, I think I talked about it earlier in the show where I I love horror movies from the 60s and 70s. And for the longest time, like I thought to myself, we don't make movies like this anymore. And this really, this movie is in its style, its context and all that kind of stuff is a throwback to those, you know, Polanski, Friedkin movies. And I very much am glad that this has happened. I haven't seen Midsummer either, so I'd love to see it again in the future. And it also gave me a desire to go back and watch Rosemary's Baby again. <laughs> Angel's already think about it so me. much. Yeah, Angel already texted me and was like, we're going to watch Rosemary's Baby. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) But um, yeah, man, this is one of those movies. You'll take away something new every time you watch it. And what I love is everything is done with a purpose in this film, dude. Like it is um, to tell this full story, both background and um, foreground stories are really interesting. Like one of the things that I really appreciated is apparently what i found out and this is actual like uh, a cult belief it does take three beheadings to summon paimon hmm. and those are three beheadings we see in the film we see between uh, uh well one of them we don't see but you know the between ellen charlie and annie those were the three beheadings needed to finally summon him and you know what the character of ellen despite the fact that she never makes an appearance in the film at all like mm-hmm. her presence is so overpowering like in this movie. Ellen feels like Satan and she yes. feels she feels even more like the operator uh in, in this entire film despite the fact that she's gone. And I think that is the most frightening ghost story of all is not just the fact that you could be the ghost that haunts someone after you passed away, but the fact that you could be someone who haunts your entire family by setting into place all of these things to happen uh, mm-hmm. to get what you wanted in the first place. So, in other words, we think it's a good movie, guys. We like it. You guys should all watch it. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, before we get out of here, we really want to let you guys know that we weren't just blowing smoke up your ass and we said that we wanted to do that. I wanted to do Rosemary's baby. In fact, I'm, that's what we're going to do next week. We literally just decided right now. (laughs) And I'm very much looking forward to going back and and seeing that movie again, especially after watching this. You you and I have like a, it's kind of a gross inside joke, but it's when we're in the mood to watch something, we, we always (laughs) like to tell each other, man, I am so horny for this movie now. This movie has actually got me horny for Rosemary's Baby. So you heard it here first. Rosemary's Baby made Angel horny. And also Hereditary made us horny for Rosemary's Baby. (laughs) So uh, thanks for joining us for this episode. Um, Please continue downloading, you know, our back catalog. uh, And for people who are discovering the show now, uh, introduce the show to people that you know please put reviews for us on whatever platform you're able to do so because it'll raise the awareness of this podcast. And, uh, you know, we're, we're just glad to, we're, I mean, especially now that we're all like locked up, like I, <laughs> there was a point in time, <laughs> there was a point in time where I think you and I started to feel like doing this podcast was kind of like work. 
And it's funny now that we're like stuck inside our homes and stuff like that. Like this almost feels like a party at the end of the week to me now. <laughs> so Oh, definitely. Like now that we don't see anybody ever, like, <laughs> but you know what? I think that month off was definitely what we needed because we've been back and I've been, I've been feeling great and yeah, dude, it's been it's been awesome putting out content for folks. Please, please, please give us a follow on. You, you know, here's what you do: if you're a fan of the show and your friend is like, "Oh, I want to watch, a po- I want to listen to a podcast," just grab their phone, just don't even tell them, get them the Spotify app, <laughs> and just give us a follow on their Spotify. You know, and then maybe they'll thank you, or maybe they'll hate you. Who knows? <laughs> yep. So we'll talk to you guys next week, and uh, thanks for joining us. All right, that was Angel. This is your big witch daddy, Javi. Catch y'all later.